And we're off another week of in defense of the Big 12. And got, let me just start off here, okay, after week one. <laughs> I'm doing the show like I might do the show like this today. All right. I'm just letting you know, at least for the first couple minutes before we talk about the garbage that happened in the Big 12 on Saturday. 0 and 3 versus the Sun Belt. God, who do we even start off with with how bad that was? Oh, man. Well, the name of this podcast is In Defense of the Big 12. And I don't know how the hell we're going to defend the Big 12 today after what happened on Saturday. And I'm almost thinking we need to change our whole premise of this show to in defense of the Sun Belt. You know, LandryFootball.com has uh, coverage all over the NFL, college football, high school, everything. And there's conference specific shows for all the Power Five. I feel like maybe you and I should do Sun Belt stuff instead of Big 12 stuff because uh, it kind of made the Big 12 say uncle on Saturday. I don't even know where to begin. I mean, what an embarrassing day for this conference. And it's pretty funny, Tyler, because in the span of, you know, one day, right, the Big 12 was the hero for college football fans across the country because the Big 12 was kind of the swing vote on whether or not there would be a 2020 season, right? The SEC, the ACC wanted to play. The Big 10 and the Pac-12 canceled their season. The whole fate of the college football year in the fall of 2020 kind of depended on the Big 12's decision. And the Big 12 obviously makes the decision to play, so we get to have kind of a normal season or at least as close to a normal season as we possibly can. So everybody loves the Big 12. And then Saturday happens, and the Big 12, once again, is the butt of everybody's jokes. Just uh, an abysmal opening weekend for this league. You know, I expect this a little bit from Kansas State. I damn sure expect it from the University of Kansas and Texas Tech. I even kind of expect it from you. But, man, and I said it on this podcast a couple weeks ago, this had a chance to be the best team in Iowa State history. Maybe they had the best quarterback in Iowa State history. Maybe they had the best coach that they've ever had before. Charlie Kolar, like you you get it. This had a chance to shape up to be maybe the banner year of the Iowa State football program. And they didn't just get beat by Louisiana. No, 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 no. They got beat by three scores on their home field. They got beat by 17 points, Brad. Like that was the biggest letdown disappointment of them all is that we thought Iowa State was going to be a pretty good football team and Granted, Louisiana's good. They won 10 games last year, but you're really going to lose by 17 on your home field? Seriously? Yeah. And it could have been worse, too. I mean, Arkans- or excuse me, uh, Louisiana missed a couple of chip shot field goals, and they dropped a couple of easy interceptions, too. So as bad as that game was, right, a 17-point victory for Louisiana, it could have been a lot worse for Iowa State. And Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, uh, people were excited about this Iowa State team. Expectations were sky high, maybe higher than they've ever been for the Iowa State football program, and yet they couldn't get it done, and they got flat out embarrassed on Saturday. And that's kind of a recurring theme for Matt Campbell, who I think has done a phenomenal job since taking over in Ames. I mean, what he's done with that program is unprecedented in terms of Iowa State history, but he struggles coming out the gates. He's now 5-11 and 11 in the month of September. He's never beaten a Power 5 team in the month of September, and he's got losses to the Sun Belt now and also to the Missouri Valley Conference as well. I don't know what it is. Matt Campbell's done a great job, and usually his teams get rolling at some point, but they are really, really sluggish out of the gate, and we saw that again on Saturday. I'm not going to throw in the towel on him having a nice year, but what what happened to Brock Purdy? 16-35, under 50% as a passer with 145 yards, no touchdowns, and one interception. I mean, if anything else, 
Like, that's the guy that you expect week in and week out is going to play well for Iowa State. Brock Purdy, yeah. best quarterback they've had since Seneca Wallace in 2002. It's been 18 years. And he throws out that type of dud. Again, I understand that he didn't have Charlie Kolar, and I'm sure that that changes a lot of things in their pass game, but under 50% as a passer, under, to 100, under 150 yards passing, and no touchdowns on the day, man. I mean, if those are the numbers that Iowa State's going to get from Brock Purdy, this is going to be a long, long year in Ames, Iowa. Yeah, no doubt. I saw a lot of chatter on Twitter. So you and I and Big 12 fans watching this show have watched Brock Purdy for the last couple of years. We kind of know what that dude is capable of. But it sort of feels like this offseason, you know, a lot of folks look ahead to next year's mock draft, right? Once yeah. the current NFL draft comes to an end and we're in the middle of the football offseason, a lot of people turn their attention to the next year's mock draft. So a lot of folks were looking at 2021 and Brock Purdy was kind of showing up, you know, late first round or early second round on a lot of these mocks. So I think just a lot of football fans who maybe had not watched a lot of Iowa State over the last two years were excited to see what all the hype was about, right? Let's let's watch this Brock Purdy kid. Let's see what his game is like and if it can translate to the next level. And you're right. I mean, just an absolute dud of a performance. Look, Iowa State had some questions going into this year for sure, but you figured one thing you could count on was Brock Purdy playing well, and you're dead on. He, uh, he let them down on Saturday. He was horrible, and that stat line could have been worse once again – a couple of drop, p- dropped picks for the Ragin' Cajuns that uh, could have made things a lot worse for him on Saturday. So now Iowa State is looking at a road trip to Fort Worth to take on TCU and a home game against Oklahoma. So a year that was filled with, I don't know, hope and promise of potentially a Big 12 championship game. I mean, I, I would say next week for them is, is, a, is a must win here coming up in two weeks. I mean, it, it really it really is. I know the Louisiana game in terms of the standings one way or the other doesn't determine if they're going to go to the Big 12 championship, but come on, man. You yeah. start off 0-2 with losses to TCU and Louisiana. That's something that you don't b- bounce back from, especially when you play Oklahoma in game three. Iowa State has to win at TCU. Yeah, I mean, if you don't beat TCU, how the hell are you going to beat Oklahoma and Texas this yeah. year, right? I mean, there's just no chance that it happens. And there's a part of me – that even if they do bounce back and beat TCU a week from Saturday, that I don't know if there's a chance they beat Oklahoma and Texas. They're going to have to play a hell of a lot better to really compete in this league. And I'll tell you what, Tyler, we don't want to overreact too much to one weekend, even though it was one of the worst weekends in this conference's (laughs) history. Uh, I I feel pretty good about my pick of there are three teams fighting for two spots this year in the Big 12 championship game, right? It's Oklahoma it's Texas, and it's Oklahoma State. Now, we didn't get to see Oklahoma State. We'll see them this Saturday because their game against Tulsa was pushed back a week. But, you know, two of the top three favorites, in my opinion, took care of business. And I know their opponents were much weaker than Louisiana and Arkansas State. But Oklahoma looked good. Texas looked really good. And then kind of those fringe teams, right? Iowa State picked fourth in this league. A lot of people were thinking they have a shot to get to Jerry World at the end of the year. Some folks thought maybe Kansas State could be a a long shot or a wild card to maybe make a run to get to Jerry World at the end of the year. I mean, neither of those teams looked really, really good. And look, we'll give West Virginia some credit, right? We might not talk yeah. a ton about their game, but they handled business. They played a really, really bad Eastern Kentucky team, but Jarrett Dagey looked good. Everything went well for West Virginia in Morgantown, so we'll give them some love. But, man, all of those fringe teams, right, those kind of trendy picks, maybe these are teams that could uh, crash the big dogs party they all laid an egg over the weekend. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about the purple teams all offseason, and one of those purple teams, Kansas State, loses to Arkansas State. Arkansas State was out 20 players, including eight starters. 20 players, eight starters. Arkansas State, yeah. eight starters going to Manhattan 
and they still found a way to beat K-State. And you thought it might be rough for K-State early on with a totally rebuilt offensive line. Only like two or three starters coming back offensively. Um, just, just wow, man. Just yeah. that's, that's, that's bad when you see how many starters Arkansas State was out and the fact that they had lost to Memphis just the week before. Well, it's really bad that Kansas State is not even the best team in the country with Kansas State in their name. Right. I mean, that's that's a problem right there. When you're not even the best team with your own name, that's that's an issue. But you're right. I mean, just a disappointment for K-State all around. They got pushed around. They got bullied in the trenches. And that was without question the biggest question for K-State going into the year, having replaced that entire offensive line from a season ago. And when you think of K-State football and a lot of this, I'm sure, has to do with Bill Snyder. But even last year, year one of Chris Kleiman, you think of the lines of scrimmage. And they generally are able to bully teams, even in this conference, let alone teams from non-Power 5 conferences like Arkansas State. They got worked in the trenches on Saturday. And you talked about Brock Purdy being the guy that you could count on for Iowa State. You know, Lynch, Blake Lynch, the kicker for K-State, is like one of their best players. And he was horrible on Saturday. He missed a couple of field goals, and they lose by four. You missed a couple of field goals. That's kind of the difference in the game. So, you know, normally guys that you could count on for K-State, you figured Skylar Thompson, who – statistically had a decent day he actually got benched for a little bit maybe that was just a you know a wrinkle in K-State's offense and they just wanted to get Will Howard the young kid in but man he wasn't that great either and how about Jonathan Adams for Arkansas State the receiver I mean hello talk about draft boards for Brock Purdy Uh, this kid Jonathan Adams 6'3 220 a senior he uh he turned heads and of course had the game-winning touchdown in the final minute he was spectacular and K-State just had no answers for I saw this right before we came on the air from Brad Powers on Twitter. Houston Baptist was a 40-point underdog at Tech, and of course they lost by two. Houston Baptist was intercepted at the one-yard line on first and goal. They were stopped on downs on fourth and goal at the one and came up short on a two-point conversion in the fourth quarter. So obviously they had their chances to win that game. It would have been the third biggest upset in college football history. I know the Texas game was going on, during the fourth quarter of the Tech game, but I was like locked in to the Tech game on ESPN Plus, I think is what it was on. And Alan Bowman's mom is just about to have a meltdown sitting by herself out there in the stands. I kind of felt bad for her, but my God, Houston Baptist, who you scheduled at the last moment, who gave up like 750 yards to North Texas the week before. Uh, Houston Baptist put up 600 yards, by the way, and over 500 passing yards on Tech. Jeez. This was supposed to be Cupcake Saturday for the Big 12, wasn't it? And this conference ends up going 0-3 against the Sun Belt, and they nearly lose to an FCS team. I mean, what an embarrassing Saturday, right? First of all, you have three games that have to be postponed due to COVID-related stuff. That's not a great look. And then, yeah, you've got three losses and then a damn near one of the worst defeats in the history of college football, as you mentioned. Giving up 567 yards passing to an FCS school is a problem, I thought uh, I, I thought the old Texas Tech defense was kind of gone with Cliff Kingsbury, but the jokes are still there. What an abysmal performance. And you're right. I mean, Houston Baptist was right there uh, as well as they played on Saturday. And as close as they were, they had to be kicking themselves on the bus ride back to Houston because uh, they had a lot of opportunities to pull off that colossal upset and love it. Hey, just to wrap up the other crap that was in this conference this weekend before maybe we can actually talk about some good Oklahoma and Texas and West Virginia with what happened in those games. Um, do we need an intervention with you about watching KU football games? Because yeah. it's it's like totally unfair. They come out the first half and play like absolute garbage, absolute crap, so you're mad. 
but then they like flirt and tease around with you. Like they're going to come back and make this a game and potentially win. Yeah. And then Coastal Carolina takes care of business in the fourth quarter. It's like the worst thing that could have happened on Saturday night. And you stayed up late for it too. Almost like a round of golf, right? Where you start off really, really poorly and you're like, dude, to hell with this. I'm never playing golf again. I'm selling my clubs on eBay after I'm done. But then you start to find a groove a little bit. Maybe you hit a birdie or two and you're like, hey, this is working. I love this sport. I'm coming back for more. That's what Kansas football did on Saturday. And I'll tell you what, Tyler, after what had happened to Kansas State and to Iowa State earlier in the day, losing to Sunbelt teams, I tweeted this out and I followed my own tweet. I bet the farm on Coastal Carolina. Now, usually if Kansas is a betting favorite, you take the other team because that's just a gift, right? Vegas Vegas doesn't give you a whole lot of gifts. You know, those casinos don't build themselves. Usually you got to work for your money. Anytime Kansas is a favorite in football, that's usually a, a, a generous a generous offer from Vegas. And after what had happened to the other Big 12 teams against Sunbelt teams, I figured Kansas had damn near no chance to get it done. You're right. I mean, they showed some things in the second half. They finally got some stuff together on offense. They made some stops on defense. But just uh, just a horrible, horrible performance by Les Miles and company. Um, the onside kick call really hurts. Not to say that Kansas would have finished the comeback, but it looked like they had some things going. Then there was a questionable penalty on an onside kick that uh, kind of killed all the momentum that Kansas had. So you saw some things, but having to play three quarterbacks week one is a problem and giving up 38 points to coastal Carolina in week one is also a problem. So that was uh, KU's most winnable game on the year. Now the hope is uh, they can find a win in conference play, but there's a chance this could be a winless year too for less miles. By the way, since 2017, records against Big 12 opponents, Coastal Carolina is 2 and 0, University of Kansas is 2 and 25. So, well, let's uh, let Coastal play 25 more games against not Kansas <laughs> than uh We'll reevaluate things after that. Yeah, yeah, but no, nah, give them credit. They were ready to play on Saturday, and that's two years in a row where Coastal went into Lawrence and, uh, and beat Kansas. So it's hard to it's hard to defend that as a Kansas fan. Coastal just seems to be the better team right now. Yeah. Hey, by the way, thanks for checking us out on Twitch. Leave us a comment. Who was the worst team in the Big 12 this weekend? I know you really got to rack your brain to come up with that one. Who was the best team of the Big 12 performances? Uh, we'll talk about all that, but uh, yeah, thanks for uh, checking us out on Twitch. And of course, LandryFootball.com has got all things football there, high school, college, NFL, NFL draft. I'm sure he has some interesting post-game analysis on the Big 12 teams. And I, I really want to see what he has to say about Spencer Rattler, who had a, a great game this weekend. But before we get into Oklahoma and Spencer Rattler, which we will spend our uh, a, a fair amount of time on that, Texas, what did they score in the first play of the game, by the way, against UTEP? I looked up and it was like 14-48, and Texas is already up 7-0. Yeah, they did. First offensive play of the game, a 78-yard touchdown pass from Sam Ellinger to Joshua Moore, which was uh, a welcome sight for Longhorn fans. Josh Moore sat out all of 2019, got into it a little bit, had a, had a weapons charge from an incident on 6th Street, and it caused him to have a team suspension. He missed all of last year. But was pretty good two years ago as a freshman, so showed some signs, had a big touchdown catch in the win over USC here in Austin back in 2018. I think a lot of Texas fans were excited to see what he'd bring to the table, and it didn't take long. So, yeah, a one-play 78-yard touchdown drive for the Longhorns right out the gate. 
and Texas put away any doubt early. I mean, UTEP's a really, really bad football team. The Longhorns were 43-point favorites. But after what had happened across this league throughout the day, I was like, all right, you know, who knows what will happen here. But uh, Texas was ready to go from the opening kick. Hey, what the hell happened? B.J. Foster just, like, quit the team during the middle of the game? Like, that's the big story out of that football game. Dude, like, what happened? Yeah, very bizarre. Apparently in the third quarter on Saturday, B.J. Foster just uh, just quit the team. He up and left. I didn't see him. I wasn't at the game, but they didn't talk about it on the TV broadcast, and nobody had any pictures or videos of him walking back to the locker room. I have no idea uh, how that thing was sparked. Apparently, B.J. Foster was not happy with the playing time he was getting. Uh, he was not a starter on this Texas defense, right? Caden Stearns and Chris Brown were the two starters uh, ahead of B.J. Foster. And he only played, to my account, he only played one series in the first half, which I thought was a little bit odd considering Texas was up 45-3 to going into the locker room and considering you know how many second and third unit guys we had seen, especially on defense from this Texas team early on. Uh, didn't get a whole lot of playing time in the first half and then didn't play at all in the second half, and I guess that explains it. But uh, by all accounts, he was at the team lift yesterday, and according to Anwar Richardson, who covers Texas for orangebloods.com, he is back with the program, uh, and he is not going to quit the team. Now, I don't I don't know what his playing time is going to look like, right? I have to assume he's in a little bit of a doghouse for making yeah. a pretty selfish decision like that, you know, to quit the team in the middle of a route because you're not getting some playing time. I assume uh, B.J. Foster is going to have to work even harder now to get on the field again this year. But, yeah, pretty uh, pretty bizarre takeaway, pretty bizarre storyline coming from uh, what was a pretty easy victory for the Horns. Yeah, Ingram led in rush. He got nine carries. They really split up the carries. Rashawn Johnson got eight. Ingram had nine. Bijan Robinson had five. Looks like he had a long of a 29-yard run. What did you think of the uh, freshman running back from from Arizona? Looked pretty good. Had one real nice carry, real nice cut down the field. He holds the ball high and tight. You know, the fundamentals were sound. I love to see that. But I think the biggest surprise for me from an offensive perspective, and I'm not nitpicking, I'm not complaining. They scored 45 points in the first half. And they were a missed field goal away from basically pitching a perfect game in terms of scoring on every possession that they had in the first half. But the play calling. 32 passes to just 14 runs, and Sam Ellinger was bowling. I mean, he set a school record for most passing yards and a half. He was really, really good, and Texas was picking up chunk yards, chunk plays through the air at will. So, once again, not a complaint or a nitpick, just kind of a surprise that the Horns were so pass-heavy on Saturday. And I'm curious to see, Tyler, if that's a sign of things to come, because Tom Herman – He's a power spread coach. That's his MO. He loves to run the football. And I think in a perfect world, he's going to run the ball 40 or 50 times a game. And usually in his first three years calling the shots at Texas against teams like UTEP, Texas will establish the running game early and often, and they'll just win the battle up front. We didn't see that on Saturday. Once again, they didn't need to, but you know, the question is, okay, was Texas just hiding some things, right? Were they trying to keep the running backs fresh? and they didn't want to show too much of their offense uh, to the rest of the teams in this conference? Or is that a sign of things to come with Mike Yersich now calling the shots on offense? That was very intriguing. The running backs look good, but we just didn't see a whole lot of them on Saturday. Yeah, interesting. And and just the fact that they really, really split carries all that much um, leaves you to who's the number one running back for this team heading into the uh, Texas Tech game here in a couple weeks. But my God, if Texas wants to run the football – if they want to run the football more, 
coming up in Lubbock, Texas, then they're going to be able to do that. I mean, seriously. I mean, that that Tech defense is awful. Tech's gonna, or Texas is going to be able to run up and down the field if they want. You know, you feel that way, and Texas Tech's defense was atrocious on Saturday, but they didn't give up a whole lot of yards on the ground. Now, Texas's three-headed monster in the backfield is a whole hell of a lot better than whatever Houston Baptist has, but uh, HBU only had 28 rushing yards in the game. The problem was their secondary was god-awful. So, you know Sam Ellinger's an upgrade over this Bailey Zap kid that Houston Baptist had and uh, yeah, Texas, their passing game was firing on all cylinders on Saturday. And with what we saw from the tech defense, the tech pass defense on Saturday in particular, and uh, the Longhorns, it feels like can uh, can have their way with Texas Tech and Lubbock in a couple of weeks. Yeah, so I, I don't know how you felt, but um, you, you saw Louisiana beat Iowa State. You saw Arkansas State beat Kansas State. And a lot of people around Norman were kind of like, really, Missouri State? We got to pay to watch that game. We got to pay fifty four ninety nine to watch Missouri State. Maybe some Texas fans felt that way, like that against UTEP. But I'm sitting there after watching those games, after seeing Notre Dame struggle with Duke for the majority of the game, saying yeah. like, you know what? I think it's a massive blessing to play a crap football team in Week One with as many players as OU had out this weekend, uh, with penalties being a problem at times. You had to knock the rust off. Like, I, I think it was really good that the two big dogs in this league, OU and Texas, were able to play inferior opponents and, and really flex their muscles on Saturday. Yeah, no doubt. I'm always down for the uh, the early season cupcake, right, the week one cupcake. Now, I love the tough non-conference games, and this past weekend Texas was supposed to play LSU and Oklahoma was supposed to play Tennessee. So they had Power 5 games on the schedule, and a lot of Big 12 teams had Power 5 teams on the non-conference schedule that had to be canceled because of COVID-19. But uh, no, it was real nice. I mean, just in case you're not 100% buttoned up and ready to go, you can still take care of business when you're playing teams like Missouri State and UTEP. So what were your big takeaways? I mean, 48 to nothing. uh, It was 31 to nothing after the first quarter. So Oklahoma was ready to go. Spencer Rattler, a ridiculously good statistical opening quarter, passed the eye test as well. Sometimes tough to have a lot of major takeaways when you're playing a team as bad as Missouri State. But what did you like, and uh, what did you maybe not like from OU on Saturday? Well, and, and I had the tweet on Saturday, and and I don't know if this can happen or not, but it's like on one hand after the first quarter, I'm like, Missouri State's really bad. I mean, there, there's no way of getting around that. But I really liked how OU played in the first half of this game when they had all their starters in. You mentioned Spencer Rattler. And yeah. – is it the worst team that he's probably going to play in his career at OU? I mean, you can make a pretty strong argument that that's the case. But you can also tell if a kid is naturally talented as a quarterback, right? We watch enough football. We can tell if a guy can throw a deep ball well or if he has nice touch or if he's got arm strength. And this by this in no means says that he's going to be a Heisman finalist someday. I'm just telling you he's got he's got all the tools. OU's got a quarterback that has all the tools to be as successful as the three guys before him. He throws the deep ball extremely well. Um, I Presence in the pocket can get a little bit better. That's my big complaint from him. But just pure natural talent as a passer, this kid's got it, man. And it was it was really, really evident on Saturday. Really, yeah. really. Anytime you can throw more touchdowns than have incompletions, then yeah. something right. I don't care who you're playing against. It was a pretty spectacular performance. Had a couple of really, really nice deep balls as well. You saw a little bit from his legs, too. Uh, no, great performance. I mean, you couldn't ask for anything better. And that kind of goes to your point of you want to open up with an easy opponent, 
regardless of what your situation is at quarterback, but especially when you have a quarterback starting for the first time, right? You would love to just ease him into the season and uh, make him feel really, really comfortable going up against a defense like that. So, yeah, Oklahoma took care of business. I'll give you credit. Seth McGowan was the most impressive running back for OU, and yeah. you've been hyping him up on this show. Even though he was listed, I think, third on the depth Four. chart for OU. Fourth. Four. Okay, I thought it was yeah. third with an or, but fourth. Either way, whatever it was. It uh, may have yeah. been with an or. You may have been right that with an or. He, he was down right. the line, regardless, on the on the OU running back depth chart. But to me, he looked most impressive uh, wearing that number one. You know, Oklahoma, programs like Oklahoma, they don't hand out single-digit numbers to just anybody. So when I saw Seth McGowan rocking the number one, I figured this dude probably had some game. Really, really impressive in the running game. Impressive in the passing game as well. Uh, that guy's going to be a stud. And I know that was a question for Oklahoma, and I'll give you some credit. You were dead on about this, but you know, with Kennedy Brooks opting out and with Trey Sermon transferring and with Ramondre Stevenson being suspended, it's like, who's going to be that guy? Is Oklahoma going to have a guy in the running back room? And you said it, man. They've got some dudes in this backfield. they got some talented cats, and uh, and they showed out, especially number one on Saturday. Yeah, TJ Pleasure was out of this game, um, so we didn't get to see him. He was listed as the starter with the depth chart. But, man, I just – look, can OU win a Big 12 championship this year with Marcus Major or TJ Pleasure? That's probably the case. Well, God, after what I saw on, on Saturday, yeah, that's definitely the case. <laughs> yeah. They win it with, with Marcus Major. But Seth McGowan, the true freshman, just gives you another level. They, he just gives you the home run ability that I don't think that those guys have, the other two guys have, down in and down out. Um, he does not look like a true freshman. I'm not saying that he's Adrian Peterson, but this kid, I, I think he's going to have a really special career. And just – how comfortable he looked his first ever college football game. I think he scored a touchdown on his first touch um, and his first reception. Scored a, scored a touchdown on both of those in his career. So that works. Start right there. Yeah, one catch for 37 yards and a touchdown and then nine carries for 61 yards and a touchdown. What about the rest of the Oklahoma receivers, right? We all knew Charleston Rambo, preseason all Big 12. I think everybody across this league had heard of that guy. Four catches, two touchdowns on Saturday, the leading receiver for the Sooners. Tell me about this freshman cat, Marvin Mims. Yeah. He was a highly touted recruit, but, man, he looked uh, pretty damn good in his OU debut. Marvin Mims looked really good. He had a 58-yard uh, reception for a touchdown. And you may be familiar with him. He is from the state of Texas, and he set, like, all these Texas high school records. Yeah. I can't remember if it was touchdowns or, or points. Like, maybe, which one? Maybe you remember that. But he was, I think, a four-star recruit coming out of the state of Texas, and not only did he have a good day at wide receiver, he's a true freshman. He's their punt return, man. OU hasn't had a punt return game to speak of recently. Basically, they just stick somebody back there and make them fair catch it the entire time and don't even try to make big plays. But I like this Marvin Mims kid a whole lot. Three catches for 80 yards and a touchdown. And, of course, that 58-yarder, he looked really, really, really good. So they've yeah. got some – True freshmen, some redshirt freshmen that still may be raw, but they've got some young kids that can ball on that side of the ball, man. Yeah, Marvin Mims, the freshman out of uh, Frisco Lone Star, right? I mean, OU has just been able to poach all sorts of talent out of the DFW Metroplex, and it looks like Marvin Mims next in line there. What about the OU defense? I mean, they pitched a shutout on Saturday. Hard to ask for much more. I know the competition wasn't great, but with all the injuries – and the suspensions and the opt-outs on that side of the ball. I'm not quite sure what people were expecting from the Oklahoma defense. Seems like uh, most went well on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, first shutout since 2015. 
damn near five years since the last time they got a shutout. Yeah. So you'll, you'll, you'll take that one, right? Yep. Um, yeah, I, they had four sacks on the day. You, you take that. And hell, they got a turnover, man. They got a takeaway, baby. Wow, they got a turnover. They, they could have had three, but whatever. They ended up getting one. They're only 10 short now of all the turnovers that they had last year. So you get a shutout. You get a takeaway. You consistently got in the backfield. And it's not like Missouri State got in the red zone a couple times and came up empty. Their, their only real shot of scoring all day long was a field goal that they missed late in the game. So, yeah, man, these these backers looked really good. The defensive line looked good. I mean, everybody looked good. It's just, it's Missouri State, you're supposed to, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, okay, guys, good game, but let me see it in a couple more weeks against Kansas State. Hey, come on, man. That's a great offensive mind and Bobby Petrino on the other side. Of Give yourself True. some credit there. Are you, are you at all... I feel like this is a stupid question. Once again, they pitched a shutout for the first time in five years, so I'm really looking for things to nitpick if I'm criticizing the Oklahoma defense with what they did. But are you at all disappointed with the only one takeaway? Like, it feels like if there's going to be a game where you can prove to the world that, hey, we're going to be a more aggressive, more opportunistic defense, it's going to be against Missouri State. And as good as OU's defense was last year, you mentioned it, only 11 takeaways, that was kind of their problem uh, are you are you at all disappointed with uh, with only that one interception? I am because they had DBs getting their hands on the ball two separate opportunities, you know? So it's kind of like that. Like, you're not going to have the overall talent. Like, the goal is to win a playoff game at some point, right? Yeah. I mean, at some point, it'd be nice to, to win a playoff game around here. I mean, damn. So you're not as talented as Alabama or Clemson or Ohio State or whoever you're going to play in the semifinal game. So you better make up for that with turnovers. And when you get your hands on the football, you got to come away with it. And granted, they did do that one time, but DBs got their hands on a couple and it just dropped. And it's like, God, that's the, that's the difference right there. Again, that's good enough to win the big 12. I'm sure they've, they've done it by not forcing any turnovers and still winning the conference. But if you want to get over the hump and become a serious defense, like, we got to be talking about that two to three takeaway number each and every year. Like I always reference 2011 Oklahoma State. And I don't remember, I don't know if you remember too much about them defensively, but dude, they got a ton of turnovers. Mm -hmm. They weren't a great defense in terms of how many yards and points they gave up. They gave up yards and points, but they were like the most opportunistic defense in all of college football that year. And that's the reason why they were able to go, what, 12 and one, win the Big 12 and beat Andrew Luck and Stanford in the Fiesta Bowl that year. Yeah, that's a good point right there. And Oklahoma's won this league with way worse defenses than what they had last year and what they'll probably have this year. But to take that next step, right, to win a college football playoff game and and compete for a national championship, then it feels like that's one of those things that can definitely help for OU. It's um, it's weird. Just the rest of the conference not looking so good. And OU and Texas, clearly it's like, all right, well, our thoughts were correct. Those are the two big dogs. Somehow that game on October 12th, got even magnified and got even more hype just because the rest <laughs> of the conference was so bad. I, I don't know if you felt that way, but like Fox was even hyping up. I think uh, Joel Klatt was even like, remember, OU and Texas looked really good. Remember, we'll be on the call for Red River, which I can't stand when people call it Red River. I, I don't know why. He just called it Red River? He just called it – like people call it just Red River. Uh, like, well, um, I mean, the, the last word – of that three-word sequence has been changed like 10 times in our lifetime, right? It's shootout, it's showdown, it's rivalry. 
Uh, it's rendezvous. I mean, what the hell is it at this point? Maybe know. maybe those guys are so tired of it, they're like, screw it, man. I can't even remember what it is. We're just calling it Red River now. They just call it Red River. But yeah, yeah like, that game, I think, just got even bigger because it's like, okay, well, I think we know who the two best teams in the league are, and it's not too far away. It's about a month away from us. Right, yeah, October 10th is uh, is the exact date. And, I mean, right now that's a top-10 matchup. You know, the, the AP took out the Big Ten and the Pac-12 teams from their top 25. So Oklahoma slides up to number three. Texas moves up five spots to number nine. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, those teams by far and away the most impressive in this conference on Saturday. We'll see what happens with Oklahoma State, right? We'll see how they look this weekend in the non-conference tilt with Tulsa. But the, uh, you know, two of the top three, the two of the top three who played in week one definitely took care of business. And yeah, that game's always intense. That game is uh, is always really, really good. But th- this year, it kind of feels like the teams could be closer to evenly matched. I know OU looked great on Saturday, but it feels like they could be more down than they have been in the last four or five years. And Texas looked really great. It feels like they maybe have their best roster in the Tom Herman era. So can't wait for that one. Obviously, yeah. both teams have to take care of business, right? A couple, couple of uh, tough games before they get to Dallas, before they get to the Cotton Bowl. But and there's no doubt that that game should be tough and tight and uh, a hell of a lot of fun and maybe a single-digit spread for the first time in a long time. I think Oklahoma is going to be the favorite. They've been the favorite in that game for a number of years now, but usually it's by double digits, and Texas finds a way to cover, and, hell, they've won three uh, against OU in the last five years. But uh, I think this year, if both teams can take care of business, then uh, that game could be a touchdown or less in terms of your Vegas line. Well, I yeah, we got a comment. It's not really a question, but it's a comment that I agree with it. If you want to, yeah. <laughs> Spartan Barton. Hey, at least the Big Twelve is playing football. Spartan Barton. I assume that's a Michigan State guy right there. But uh, no, nah, I, I I can't argue that. I mean, Texas's defense looked good. Oklahoma's defense looked good. West Virginia's defense looked good, but they played UTEP, Missouri State, and Eastern Kentucky respectively. So. Not a lot of firepower on those offenses. And then, yeah, you go around the conference, right? Kansas got worked by Coastal Carolina. Houston Baptist put up 600 yards of offense against Texas Tech. Arkansas State had no problem moving the football against Kansas State. And, you know, Iowa State's defense wasn't that bad. They weren't that bad. The problem was special teams, right? They gave up a long-ass kickoff return for a touchdown and a long-ass punt return for a touchdown. So, that kind of led to Louisiana scoring all the points that they scored. But, look, uh, that, that's the running joke with the Big 12 right there, man. And it's it's really hard to argue. Once again, the name of the show is In Defense of the Big 12. We're having a tough time defending the Big 12 this year with uh, with what we saw on Saturday. But we appreciate the comment, Spartan Barton. And, uh, oh, we got to go Gators from Spartan Barton. So maybe maybe not a Michigan State guy, maybe a UF guy. I don't know if you saw this, Tyler, but their stadium was on fire. Yeah, the dumpster fire. All right, sign of things to come. Come on, hey, Red. Right. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty funny. But uh, yeah, no, not not a great weekend, and and the reputation of the Big Twelve has been in question a lot over the last few years, right? In the college football playoff era, because this conference has zero CFP wins, and Oklahoma really is the only team keeping the the half decent rep of this conference alive, right? Because they're at least yeah. getting to the playoff and uh, and uh, they're going undefeated or one loss every year. But now people have questioned uh, how good this conference is, the strength of this league, and uh, they did not show out on Saturday. No question. Since Barton Barton's a Florida fan, I, I remember a stat that I saw real quick uh, this off season, 
And Fred Taylor played at the University of Florida. His last year was 1998. Fred Taylor was a first-round pick. He went number nine overall. And the stat I saw via ESPN, that is the last running back Florida's had that's been drafted in the first two rounds of the draft. Fred Taylor hmm. in 1998. First two rounds, or it, was, it may have been first three rounds. It's first two or first three rounds of the draft. It's been since 1998 since Florida's had a running back of that caliber. How about Jeez. that? Well, Fred Taylor was really damn good in college, and he was pretty damn good in the NFL too. So uh, he lived up to his billing there. But that is that is interesting. I don't know. I think they're going to be good. I'm a big Dan Mullen guy. So not to get too off track here on in defense of the Big 12, but I think the Gators have a shot to uh, to beat Georgia this year and compete for that SEC championship. Hey, I uh, went to a game on Saturday. Yeah, tell me about that, man. Tell me that about the, uh, the experience at, uh, at Gaylord. So – my seats were pretty awful in the Missouri State section. Um, they were really bad. I thought that they were going to do like a temperature check. I, I, I could have sworn that they said that they were going to do that. I guess not. But <laughs> there was no temperature check. It was just like any other entry into the stadium. Like OU has metal detectors. I don't know if Texas does or not. But it like really wasn't even that big deal, big of a deal to go in the stadium. I think it was like six in the elevator allowed at one time, which sucks because that mean I had to walk all the way up to this top of the stadium. Anyway, come on, man. it was – OU did a really good job with it. I, I mean, I'm not just kissing their ass. Like, they, they really did get a, do a good job with it. Um, just because it was the first game, it's so tough. Like, they had people walking around being like, all right, come on, put on your mask, all that stuff like that. But it was pretty loosely regulated. Um, midway through the first quarter, I had some friends, some family friends that said, hey – we're in this section. Come on down and sit with us. Lower level, a lot better seats, right? There's like three rows in front of us. Come sit. So there were six of us in total that just walked all the way down to the other side of the stadium, lower bowl, sat there with no problem the entire hmm. game. So, I mean, yeah. it was, you know, I mean, it, it was weird. Like, like there were like some sections that were almost completely empty. I thought it was going to be spread out like evenly throughout the stadium and it 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 really wasn't. I I don't know. I expected this unique, weird experience, but it just felt like you were watching a game in the fourth quarter that was a blowout. Yeah, it, I mean, it wasn't. It was different, but it just wasn't as unique as I thought it was going to be. Maybe kind of felt like a spring game, right? Yeah. Or, yeah. You, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I don't know. I mean, just watching uh, watching some highlights and some video from uh, from the OU game. It looked like there were a couple of sections that were just jam-packed with people. I assume those were all students. Student sections. It, same thing that happened at Kansas State. You yeah. know where that K-State student section is? It's right behind the visitor bench, and they were all just crammed in there. Probably not a good bit. I mean, you want to have a student section, right, or as close to a student section as you possibly can, but I feel like it's probably better to separate those kids. And and, and I'll give Texas some credit because the UT, UT was the only college football team that actually tested their students for COVID before the game, right? Not just a temperature check. They did a legit COVID check and you couldn't get a wristband to get into the stadium unless you passed that COVID test. So the numbers, uh, they tested 1,198 students. 1103 tested positive, 95, excuse me, 1103 tested negative, 95 tested positive. So all of, their folks, all of those folks who tested positive weren't allowed in the stadium and everybody who tested negative did get their wristband and did have the opportunity to go. Uh, you know, not every school has the resources and the funding 
to pay for that many COVID tests for students every single week. But man, uh, you feel like that, that should be a move in the big 12 uh, just to make sure you're not letting anybody with COVID into the game. If you can't avoid it. Yeah. They had cardboard cutouts there. They had advertisements down the sideline, which I've never seen before. There were, yeah, again, there were a couple things that were different for, for the most part. It was, it was fine. You had to wear a mask during the game, stuff like that. But hell, they were still serving beer during the games. It was a, it, it was kind of nice to be able to like spread out though. Yeah. You know, that, that was kind of cool. Yeah. Actually be able to stretch a little bit yeah. and have some space and uh, not have a bunch of people standing on top of you. No, I, I'm sure it was. And I don't know how much uh, the masks re- regulations were in place, not just at OU, but across college football this weekend. Right. I mean, every time they would show crowd shots and, People had masks on their face, but they weren't really on. And I'm not look. I'm not going to be the guy to overly criticize and and freak out about someone not wearing their masks uh, at a football game, especially in a place where you kind of know what you're getting into, right? If you're going to be around that many people that you haven't been around for the last six months, then okay, there's a little bit of a risk involved. But uh, I felt like on paper the regulations were there with college football teams, but in action uh, there was a lot of leeway kind of given this weekend and I I sort of expected that by the way West Virginia fans are pissed off at us because we really haven't recapped their game yet hey nice job guys you had 11 starters suspended for this game but uh you showed up and played well nice job West Virginia yeah I mean they took care of business right look that's what they were supposed to do EKU is really really bad and that was their second game of the season they lost to Marshall last week 59 to nothing right uh they how do they play two West Virginia teams in back-to-back weeks that's really Uh weird for Eastern Kentucky but if you want to nitpick West Virginia beat EKU by less than Marshall did what's going on there Mountaineers but now nah, they they took care of business. Jared Daggy looked pretty good. Didn't have to play a whole lot, but three touchdown passes in the first half for the Mountaineers. Uh, Sinkfield, the running back, really, really good. Alex Sinkfield, uh, a very good performance for West Virginia. Hadn't heard a whole lot about him. I mean, Letty Brown had a great game, too. Letty Brown was the starting running back. That's the guy I think most Big 12 fans know from the past. But uh, Sinkfield, a nice speller for Letty Brown on Saturday. They ran for 329 yards and five touchdowns against that EKU Colonels defense. So, yeah, I mean, West Virginia did what they were supposed to do. I'm not quite sure how good they're going to be, right? Four and eight last year in year one uh, of the Neil Brown era. I think Neil Brown's a great coach. I thought he was a great hire, and I think he's going to do some good things in Morgantown. I'm not quite sure this is the year, though. It's where they really compete for a spot, you know, the top three or four, maybe even the top half of this conference, they're going to be tested early, right? Their next game is at Oklahoma state. That's their conference opener uh, in two weeks. So we'll learn a lot about uh, where West Virginia falls in line in this league when they take that trip to Stillwater. Yeah. um, OU Texas, really everybody except for two teams have a bye week this week coming up. And I was kind of like, I love bye weeks because you just get to sit around and watch football all day, you know, especially me and you. And it's like, wow, only one big 12 game. Army and BYU's postponed, Virginia, Virginia Tech's postponed. But like out of nowhere on Saturday, Baylor and Houston, I guess, were like, hey, you want to play next week? All right, cool. Let's do it. Let's meet in Waco. So (laughs) oddly, we've got Houston and Baylor just playing at 11 a.m. this Saturday. Hey, I'm in. And I think Baylor's a six and a half point favorite in that game. So that should be relatively tough and tight. Now, hopefully Baylor can uh, represent this league 
And Baylor and Oklahoma State, right, the two teams playing this Saturday, hopefully they can put on a better showing for this conference than the teams who played over the weekend did. But that is one of the more intriguing early season college football games that we have. We've got a ranked matchup with Miami and Louisville. That's where college game day is going to be on Saturday. Uh, UCF playing Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech coming off that nice win at Florida State, spoiling Mike Norvell's debut. So, yeah, we've got a few a few decent games on Saturday. Obviously not the normal non-conference slate that we're accustomed to seeing in college football and obviously not the volume of games that we're used to seeing early in the year in college football. And that was the biggest thing I noticed on Saturday, Tyler. I mean, besides this conference just laying an egg and teams looking very, very rusty, just not the same number of games uh, that we're used to seeing without uh, the you know the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the Mountain West being a part of things. There was a lack of, of number of games on the TV screens. I guess Spartan Barton's got another question about who's the second best team in the league. Ooh. Um, well, I mean, right now, with Baylor not playing and Oklahoma State not playing, I don't know how you can't say Texas at this point. Yeah, I mean, Texas looked great. Once again, competition, not great. UTEP is uh, not a very good football team. They've won three games in the last four seasons. One of those wins actually came last weekend against Stephen F. Austin State out of the FCS. So, look, Texas took care of business, and, and the expectations around Longhorn country are very, very high. Uh, the best team, the best roster that the Horns have had in the Tom Herman era. Feels like the best chance Texas has to win the Big 12 for the first time since 2009. Now, stop me if you've heard that before, right? I'm sure a lot of non-Texas fans out there are rolling their eyes when they hear me say stuff like that. But, no, Texas showed out. They took care of business. We haven't seen Oklahoma State yet, right? OSU was picked second by the media in this league, and it seems like they are, uh, you know, the biggest threat outside of Oklahoma and Texas to win this league. I don't know about Baylor. I know Baylor's coming off an 11-win season, and they made it to the Big 12, and they made it to the Sugar Bowl last year, but they just had so much turnover. I think they're going to struggle early on. Yeah, a completely new coaching staff, a a ton of personnel turnover as well. So, you know, we'll we'll see how they look against Houston on Saturday. If they blow out Houston, then hold on. You know, maybe watch out for Baylor. Maybe they uh, have a chance to, to play spoiler in this league this year. But as of right now, it sort of feels like three teams fighting for two spots and that's uh, Oklahoma, Texas, and Oklahoma State. Yeah, I, I think Baylor, by the end of the year, got a chance to be a pretty good defense, pretty salty team. But, yeah, right now coming out of the gate, like I, I, I think that there's a chance they could lose to Houston on Saturday. I really do. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised at all if UH goes up to Waco and wins. Yeah, no, I, I don't think I would either, right? I mean, I'm just not sure what to expect. We've never seen Dave Aranda as a head coach. You know, Larry Fedora coming in as the offensive coordinator, I thought that was a pretty good hire for Baylor, who's a guy who's got some head coaching experience at the Power 5 level. So uh, we know he's capable of calling some pretty good offenses, but no off season. I mean, anytime you're bringing in a new coaching staff, it's tough. But when you have the off season like we had this year, and you don't have spring football, and you don't have all the time that you normally have with your kids to get your system installed, then – it makes things uh, it makes things even tougher. So yeah, I'm curious to see how uh, how the Bears look this Saturday, and I think this will go a long way into telling us what they're going to do in this league this year. Hey, I got a random question for you. North Carolina won over Syracuse, 31-6. If, if Bob Stoops got a head coaching job tomorrow, OU fans would really root for him. Do Texas fans root for Mac at North Carolina right now? How do they feel about that? Yeah, I think for the most part, I think most Texas fans do root for Mac Brown. He's still uh, pretty beloved down here in Austin and amongst Longhorn Nation. You know, I, I'm one of those guys, and God, talk about people rolling their eyes. Like Bob Stoops and Mac Brown were obviously dominating this league for a number of years, but Bob Stoops had Mac Brown's number. 
right? In the Texas OU game in the Red River shootout, Bob Stoops was better in uh, in that rivalry when these teams met in Dallas. Bob Stoops' biggest win over Mac Brown was his last win, and that was leaving the program in Lincoln Riley's hands, right? Like Bob Stoops just went total selflessness and said, hey, this is our guy. This guy's awesome. He's capable of being a really, really good head coach. I trust him. I'm going to leave and just hand over the reins to Lincoln Riley, and I know we're still going to be competing for conference and national championships. Mac Brown did the exact opposite, and I know everybody laughs at the Nick Saban rumors and, oh, that was never going to happen. Oh, that wasn't true. No, that was going to happen. That was absolutely going to happen. But Mac Brown put the kibosh on the whole deal because he didn't want his reputation to be sure. superseded by Nick Saban, right? Mac Brown knew how great of a coach Nick Saban was. And as great as Mac Brown was, you know, he only won one national championship. You bring in Nick Saban, and I mean, that guy is winning national. He's got six in his college football coaching career. So Mac Brown put the kibosh on that entire thing. Think about how different this past decade would have been for Longhorn football if Nick Saban was the coach instead of the last years of Mac Brown, Charlie Strong, and Tom Herman. So there are some Texas fans who like know that and are like, uh, they hold some animosity towards Mac Brown because of that. But I would say the, the pretty strong majority, to answer your question, are rooting for Mac Brown to be successful at Carolina. So seriously, that was going to happen if Mac Brown didn't get in the way. I promise. I promise. I've talked to oh, enough people that, that I trust. And I, you know, I know it was kind of a running joke. Oh, Nick Saban's wife is house hunting in Austin and, and this and that. That was actually true. Nick Saban was ready to take this job. Obviously, Texas was ready to pay him a hell of a lot of money, like a record-setting type $10 million of was lifetime the rumor contract. Time. Yep, the $10 million numbers that had been rumored. And God. Nick Saban was ready to make the move. But for some reason, the, the Texas boosters and the Board of Regents felt the need to listen to Mac Brown. And they uh, Mac Brown said no, and the Board of Regents said, all right, this guy's done enough for the university, so we're not going to uh, to, to go against what he wants. And that's how the whole thing fell through. I come after the administration for that. I don't give a damn what Mac Brown wants. You got to get it. You have a chance to get the best head coach in college football history. Yeah, Mac. I'm sorry, dude. Like, sorry about you. We're gonna go ahead and hire that guy. Hey, I agree, 100. percent And I know hindsight's 2020, but I don't even think that's a hindsight thing. I think that's a foresight thing. You know, you got a chance to hire the goats of college football coaches. You got to take that opportunity, and, and Texas had it, and they missed it. Wow. Uh, Spartan Barton wants to know if the Big 12 takes over the SEC with Saban at UT. Well, I, I don't think so. I think that the Big 12 is obviously in a better situation because OU and Texas are winning a whole lot of games. Like, people forget there was a time where the Big 12 once was the best conference in all of college football in the early 2000s. Yeah. OU, Texas, Nebraska, Kansas State, hell, Colorado was pretty good. A&M was still going eight and four every single year, but they were respectable, right? I mean, that that Lee, Oklahoma State was yeah. on the up and up. They were having some good years. I mean, there was a time where the Big 12 was the best conference in all of college football, but the issue is if you've never been good, you're probably never, ever going to be good, right? So Iowa State's never recruited well. Same thing for Kansas State and uh, Kansas and Texas Tech. Like the, the, the recruiting just would have always been better in the SEC. The Big 12 
yeah, even with Saban and Austin, I don't think that the Big 12 overtakes the, the SEC. Yeah, I mean, at the top, you feel really good, right? Instead of just Oklahoma carrying the weight for this league, you've got uh, Texas doing its part over the last decade and, and competing for some national championships, which helps. But in terms of depth, I'm not quite sure it's there. And God, I mean, you talk about last decade, uh, I mean, throw Texas Tech in there too with Mike Leach. I mean, they had some great years with the, with the Pirate in Lubbock. Uh, and then Kansas, I mean, you had Kansas and Missouri playing for like basically a, a, a national championship quarterfinal yeah. in 2008. Like even Kansas was rolling and they won double digit games uh, one year and they had back to back really good years with Mark Mangino at the end of the last decade and Mizzou uh, playing a big 12 championship game against Oklahoma before losing that one. So yeah, I mean, last decade, this conference was uh, at times the best out of all the Power Five teams. And before Nick Saban got to Alabama, you know, Alabama was in a little bit of a lull. I know LSU won a national championship last decade. Florida won a couple of national championships last decade. So the SEC was still really, really good. But there were times last decade, no question, where the Big 12 was better than the SEC and was the best Power Five conference in all of college football. Maybe if Saban got the job in Austin, he would have brought on his buddy Chris Landry to be like the offensive coordinator or something there like you that. Go. They used to be together in Cleveland. So, That's true. You know? That maybe, is very true. Maybe, I mean, come on. Now, now we're in the Chris Landry podcast network, but maybe you could have been covering Chris Landry as the – I don't know. Chris seems more like a defensive-minded guy. Maybe you could have been covering Chris Landry as the DC out there in Austin instead. Man, how life how life can change. That would have been something. Well, I uh, I would have hoped Chris would have fared better than the last few defensive coordinators <laughs> that that Texas has. And Spartan Barton makes a good point, right? The Saban coaching tree, which is now all over the SEC with Kirby Smart and with Jeremy Pruitt and probably three or four more guys that I'm forgetting. That would be in the Big Twelve instead of the SEC, yeah. most likely. So that would have helped some of the uh, lower tier teams in this conference, maybe get some good coaches in there. But, uh, yeah, fascinating question. And, yeah, Chris Landry and Nick Saban, that would have been an interesting partnership, Tyler. Hey, just to get to go national for a couple minutes here before we get off, are are you – I'm tired of the Big Ten's BS. Like, either play or not, for God's sake. Just make a decision whether you're going to play or not. I'm I'm tired of going through this every single week with that league. Yeah, I'm with you, right? There were rumors that they were going to vote yesterday, and that didn't happen. Now we're thinking they're going to vote this week, and who exactly knows what's going to go down in Big Ten country. You know the players want to play, the coaches want to play, the parents want to play, the ADs want to play, and – it seems like things went pretty well for the opening weekend of college football. We'll wait and see what the COVID results are from the tests that all these schools do this week. But it seems like things are off to a decent start in uh, in, in the world of college football. And the Big Ten's just twiddling their thumbs, sitting on the sidelines, probably feeling pretty stupid right now. So hopefully they say yes. And I would love for them to be a part of this college football season. I don't know how exactly it would work, right? If they start in mid-October, can they be yeah. a part of the college football playoff picture with the Big 12, the SEC, and the ACC I don't know, but uh, man, I'm I'm down for more college football. I'm never going to say no to more college football. So I've given up on the Pac-12. I think they're done. I don't think they're playing at all, but uh, maybe there's a chance the Big Ten still suits up. I guess Dan Patrick said this morning that Michigan's not going to play. Michigan State's not going to play. Maryland's probably not going to play. But Nebraska, Iowa, Purdue, Indiana, Ohio State, and Wisconsin want to play. Well, you know so, Ohio State wants to play, right? I mean, they, oh, yeah. they they were the national title favorites going into this year. So they're they're really ticked. I mean, Justin Fields, a guy who you know, almost has everything to lose, nothing to gain. 
from a next level perspective, like that guy's going to be a top five pick in next year's NFL draft without yeah. playing another snap. Uh, he could lose a lot by playing this year if he gets hurt and something happens to him, but he wants to play. He wants to compete. He thinks his team is a shot to win the national title. So yeah, those guys, uh, that doesn't surprise me that Ohio state's in that mix and Michigan maybe is so tired of losing to Ohio state and so tired of all the down years that they've had in the Jim Harbaugh era that, uh, and they lost a ton of players from last year too, but maybe they, maybe they're okay with taking a year off this year. Cause I don't think expectations were that high in Ann Arbor. Anything to monitor this weekend, the big 12, uh, monitor BJ Foster, anything going on in Austin that we need to keep an eye on. Till we no, get to Saturday? That's probably it. Uh, Jordan Whittington did get hurt for Texas on Saturday and, and Jake Smith, who was the, the starting H wide receiver in the slot was hurt. He, he had a hamstring injury. He did not play on Saturday. I think he's going to be fine, but the backup was Jordan Whittington. He got hurt waiting on uh, some results from, from an MRI there. So that's something to watch, but Obviously, this weekend, right? Can uh, can Oklahoma State take care of business as a three touchdown favorite against Tulsa? And how does uh, the new coaching staff and new look Baylor look against a decent non con team in U in uh, in the U of H? Well, there you go. Hey, uh, we appreciate everybody for joining us today. Spartan Barton, we're back on Thursday. Come on, man. 10 a.m. Central, you better be back. You got nothing going on. Come on. Thursday, 10 a.m. Central. I know you'll be back with more comments. From Brad Kellner in Austin, I'm Tyler McComas and Norman. We are in defense of the Big 12. Go check out LandryFootball.com throughout the week for all of the best football coverage on the Internet. We'll talk to you in a few days.